Welcome to the Ridge Life Podcast. We at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship trust this message will be an encouragement to you. We're going to be in the book of Philippians, and uh, we're picking back up our study here out of uh, Philippians as we're uh, working through it. And we're going to be in Philippians chapter number 3. And if you recall with me, uh, Paul is writing to these uh, believers at Philippi, and he was thanking them for this uh, financial gift that uh, was given to them. He's expressing his gratitude with joy, and uh, Paul had already uh, spent some time talking about that joy that we kind of looked at uh, out of uh, Philippians 1, and then we looked in Philippians 2 about uh, how he talked about having unity within the body of Christ, and that is through humility as we set aside our differences, we set aside uh, the things that we want, and uh, instead we serve one another, and there's uh, great joy in all of that. And uh, he even talked about... uh, giving this this great example of humility about Christ who uh, set aside his agenda, right? He set aside leaving the the very uh, glories of of heaven and coming down and taking upon him the form of a servant and uh, becoming obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And uh, a couple weeks ago, or uh, probably about a month ago, actually, we we finished up at looking by those two examples about uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus about uh, an example of humility, how that they that they served uh, the church and they, they cared about the church. And uh, now we're moving here to, to chapter number three, and we see Paul now, he's, he's going to kind of shift gears, and he's going to give the church some very sound advice and try to help them in their Christian walk. And uh, what he tells them, essentially, is to be on the lookout. Look out. Watch out. Uh, Be alert. Look out. Uh, In 2004, Frank Barusa, a former factory owner, then a 34-year-old man, had, had a thought. And his thought was this. Why do we go to work? Why do we set up businesses? The end goal of all of that is money. It was at that moment, he says, that I decided I was going to start printing fake money. In the years that followed, Barusa became the most prolific counterfeiter in U.S. history, producing $250 million in forged American $20 banknotes. His counterfeiting scheme came to an end in 2012. And he spent a total of $252,000 to print it all and made $15 million in selling those fake bank notes. The unbelievable part of this story is that after he was caught and everything came out, he only spent six weeks in jail and had to pay a $10,000 bond to get out of jail. And by cooperating with the police, by handing over the other $200 million in the fake cash. What a charlatan and a thief. He swindled, lied, and cheated people out of their money by using trickery and producing a counterfeit. Here in our text this morning in chapter number 3, 
Paul gives a warning to the Philippian believers to be on the lookout for the counterfeits and to know the difference. So this is what I'd like for you to take away with you today. Look out. There are dangerous people who will try to deceive you. Look out. There are dangerous people who will try to deceive you. So let's take notice here in our text. Verse number one, chapter number three. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. In Christ, there is safety. So if we're going to be on the lookout, we have to know what is safe. And Paul says it right here. He says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. And so there, in Christ, there is safety. And so Paul here, beginning here in verse number one, he's telling them, he's saying, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. There's a repetition that's happening. And so Paul's desire here is for them to be safe, to have protection from the counterfeits. Because he knows that uh, there are counterfeits out there. There are people out there that are going to try to deceive them. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, uh, in his final words to the Ephesian elders, uh, the elders that were there at the church at Ephesus, Paul calls them together and he says this, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth. They will twist the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. And that's what we have today, even in our church today. There are men that arise within the churches and they distort the truth in order to deceive the flock and to destroy the flock. And so how do we protect our faith and the faith of those around us? Well, we have to be on the lookout for those who would seek to destroy the flock. And we must be reminded of the truth that is only found in Jesus Christ. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12 has this to say, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. So there's always a constant reminder. We need to be constantly reminded of the truth. Why? Because there are men that arise within churches that distort the truth to bring about harm to God's sheep. You see, as Christians, there are many threats to our spiritual lives. There are many hazards that if we're not careful, we can get caught off guard. In Christ, there is safety, meaning this, that knowing the truths about Christ and abiding in Christ will keep you from being led astray. There's protection. Notice a few things that Paul says here that teaches this. First of all, there is safety by being in fellowship with the body of Christ. 
Notice what Paul says here. Finally, my brothers. Or furthermore, or so then, or now then, my brothers. Paul is not ending this letter. Rather, he's a continuation. He's saying, so now listen, my brothers. Listen very carefully to what I'm telling you. To write these same things to you is no trouble to me, but it is safe for you. And so he's making this transition. And notice the word after finally, my brothers. Paul is making a, ch a change in thought and focus. And he calls these Philippians... His brothers. These are his brothers in Christ. This is the family of God. This is the relationship that he had with the church. And as we talked about even last week, that the church is supposed to be the family of God, right? God is the head of the church. And so we have the relationship together. There's a relationship together as the family. And so there needs to be fellowship with the body of Christ. And there is safety when we remain in fellowship with the body of Christ. You see, as a loving family member, Paul sought to protect his spiritual brothers and his sisters from various threats to their spiritual health. The Philippians had a form of protection in their fellowship with Paul and one another. And this is true for us as well. You see, if we do not remain in healthy fellowship with other believers in Christ, how will we know when we are going off, off track? You see, there's, there seems to be this thing today about people thinking, well, I can serve God or I can worship God without the church. You can't. You can't. You have to remain in healthy fellowship with the body of Christ. Because who holds you accountable? Who holds us accountable? When we are straying off, who comes and tells us, you're wrong, you're in sin, you're not living according to what God has commanded us to do? And so that's why it's so important for us to remain in healthy fellowship with one another. Because no, none of us wants to see people going astray, ruining their life. And so we're called to that. In fact, in the book of Galatians, Paul talks about those that have been overtaken in a fault. He says that we are to restore them, to restore them. And so there's healthy, there's, there's safety by remaining in a healthy fellowship uh, within the church. One of the ways we protect ourselves is by, re by remaining in the fellowship. And so as soon as a person starts to drift away from the church and Christian fellowship in general, they are on dangerous grounds. Paul, as the Philippians' older brother here in the Lord, sought to warn them and protect them. He says, my brothers, uh, I want to uh, tell you these things because it is safe for you. So who holds you accountable? Who holds you accountable? Who will have uh, the ability to get in your face and say, you're wrong? None of us like to hear that, right? Boy, it's hard. It's hard when people point out those things in our lives, is it not? But it's good for us. It's healthy for us. Proverbs says this, faithful are the wounds of a friend. 
And so if you have a friend who is willing to point out to you things that are wrong in your life, that is good. That is healthy. I can't tell you how many times my wife has really pointed out things that are wrong in my life. And you know what happens? I get angry. I get upset. How dare you? But then I get reminded, yeah, I am wrong. And then I go up to my wife and I go, she goes, are you mad at me? And I'm like, how can I be mad at you? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> so it's healthy for us. Secondly, there is safety by having your joy in Christ. Notice what Paul says here. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. We've seen this joy as a major theme of this letter, in fact, so far. In chapter 1, he mentioned joy several times. He says he is always praised with joy because of their partnership in the gospel. That's Philippians 1, 4 through 5. Concerning whether he would die or live, he said he was convinced it was God's will for him to stay for their progress and joy in the faith in Philippians 1, 25. In Philippians 2, 17 through 18, he declared how he rejoiced in his sacrifice for them and commands them to rejoice as well. And where was Paul during all this time, remember? He's chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He ain't going anywhere. And he says, this brings me great joy. For my sacrifice for you, I know that there is great joy in all of this. And so, in here, in fact, he will repeat this call for the church to have joy. Later on in Philippians 4, 2, he says to rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. So why is the joy of the Lord so important for our faith? Why is it important to have joy in the Lord? How does rejoicing in the Lord protect us? Well, first of all, we should remember and understand that this joy is not a joy in circumstances, it is a joy regardless of our circumstances. See, there's a difference. Sometimes people think that as long as everything lines up the way that I want it to line up, then that means that I can have joy. But what happens when things do not go the way that we desire and want them to go? Do you still have joy? Paul did. And that's what we ought to have as well, to be rejoicing in the Lord. And this is so foundational and so helpful that we understand this because this joy is based on our relationship with the Lord. A Christian can rejoice in poverty and loss and failure and heartbreak because his joy is based not in those things, but his joy is based in his relationship with Christ. Remember Christ in uh, Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, what was the joy? That he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, joy is an overflow from our relationship with God. The more that we are putting the truth in, the more we are repenting of sin and allowing our lives to be confirmed in the gospel, and that alone brings us great joy. It's nothing that we fabricate on our own. It's not something that we go, boy, I just got to be joyous about this whole situation. No, it's because you're putting truth in. You're allowing the gospel to transform you, to confirm to you 
that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And so as we are abiding in God's spirit, he gives us joy. And this is why it is so important to have your joy in the Lord. Why? Because if you are looking for joy in anything else other than the Lord, we will try to find it somewhere else. And so he says there's great safety in this of having Christ as your joy, to be rejoicing in the Lord. I mean, just think about it, if you will. Look back on the past year. You had some hardships, some difficulties, things that just didn't seem to go well. Where was your joy? Was it in these things have to go well? Everything should be the way it should be? I mean, I'll tell you right out, I got frustrated several times about things. What is this? Oh, you got to be kidding me. What? Is my joy in those things or is it in Christ? And so if we're seeking that joy in other things, there's great danger in that. You see, the results of this, when we find joy in the Lord, it will keep us safe. Because when we seek it in other areas, we are opening our hearts to other things that could come into our lives and creep in. Things that could destroy us, things that could lead us astray. And so we must guard ourselves from anything that would hinder our relationship with God. Look at this third thing. There is safety in knowing the word of Christ. Notice what Paul says here. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and it is safe for you. Notice what Paul says here, to write the same things. What is he writing? He's writing this letter. What is this? This is scripture. This is inspired scripture from the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God that he's giving them. And there is safety. There's great safety in the word of God. This is why it's imperative that we remain in the truth, that we remain faithful to the word of God. Because if we are not remaining faithful to the word of God, which is truth, what's out there? Lies, deception. Men who twist and distort the truth. Or they take a little truth and they mix it with a little air. And it sounds good, but it's twisted and it's distorted. And there's great safety in knowing the word of Christ, remaining in the word of Christ. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Hebrews 4.12 reminds us, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And so the word of God cuts us. It reveals to us wrong heart attitudes, pride and anger and unforgiveness, wrong doctrine and beliefs. And so the word of God is necessary for us for safety because without it, how do we remain safe? How do we look out for the dangers and the counterfeits? So the word of Christ is so important for that. Notice the second thing here Paul talks about. Look here, verse number two. Don't be deceived by counterfeit Christianity. Look out, look out. Look at this three times. He says this, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And so he's warning these believers to be on the lookout 
for these dangerous people. These people promoted counterfeit Christianity and Paul calls them dogs and evil workers, evil doers and those who mutilate the flesh. These people Paul is referring to were false teachers that were called the Judaizers. When the gospel began really moving throughout the world, these men, these Judaizers, were basically professing uh, Christians or professing uh, uh, followers of Christ. And they would come in, they would follow Paul, and these men were Jews, and they started promoting this idea, okay, well, yeah, you got saved, but now you got to do some extra things to really, really uh, be in touch with God or to be on God's right side. And basically, they promoted circumcision. And so they, they taught the need for the Gentiles to practice the Mosaic law in order to be saved. Uh, they were saying you had to do this extra stuff added to salvation. Uh, so they taught that salvation was not by faith alone, but rather it's faith plus circumcision, or faith plus doing this, or faith plus doing that. And if you really want to get the background on all these guys, I encourage you to read uh, Acts 15, uh, verses 1 through 21. It really tells the story about these Judaizers. And so these false teachers, they, they followed Paul around. So when Paul would, would be in an area and he'd be preaching the gospel, here comes the Judaizers. They're right there. They're to distort the truth and to twist the truth of what Paul was saying. In fact, the entire letter of Galatians confronts these, this false teaching in Galatians 1, 8, and 9. Paul says this, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be, what? Eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Condemned, Anathema, let him be damned, is what Paul says. He later says in Galatians 5.12, As for those agitators, those Judaizers, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Boy, that's pretty strong language. Here's these Judaizers promoting this idea of circumcision. He says, I wish they would just go ahead and do the whole thing and emasculate themselves. You see, Paul speaks very aggressively towards them. He says, anybody who preaches another gospel should be accursed. And he said he wished those who preached the need for circumcision should go the whole way and just emasculate themselves. This is very important to notice because in today's culture, we have become so focused on what? Tolerance. We have that buzzword of we need to be kind and we need to be loving to everybody, right? Right? That's not Paul's stance. He says, these men come in and they distort the truth and they need to be called on it. Some think it's unloving to call out false teachers and expose the works of darkness. And more so now than ever, we are seeing darkness and wickedness in this world and, in, and the church is under attack, folks. I mean, we might look around here and might say, it doesn't look like we're having... Attacks, it's fine. But just think about it. Think about the culture that you're immersed in, that you're living in. Think about everything that is acceptable today. 
Has the church gone along with that? Yes, it has. The world and the, the, our country has changed its stance on, on what a marriage is. And you know what the church says? Hey, that's great. That's fine. What's going on? It's under attack. And see, the church needs to be standing for truth. And we need to call out the darkness. We need to be willing to call out the darkness. And that's exactly what Paul did here. So notice what Paul describes, how he describes these counterfeits here. Look what he says here. Number one, look out for the dogs. When Paul called these false teachers dogs, he was saying they were like scavengers. The word that Paul uses here describes dogs that ran in packs, fed on garbage, stole food, and at times even attacked humans. Have you ever met a dog like that? I've met a couple raccoons like that. But he says they're dogs. These people are scavengers. They attack. And therefore, they were hated and feared. And Paul compared these false teachers to these scavengers. They try to steal people from God's church. That's exactly what Paul said in Acts 20, 28. He says that these men arise within. And he says they distort the truth, trying to draw away disciples to themselves. And that's what happens. And so they're dogs, and uh, these are people that come in. In 2 Timothy 3, 6, and 7, Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, they are the kind who worm their way into homes. They worm their way into homes. They get into the home, and they gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. And so these, these dogs, these false teachers would go from house to house and they're looking for these weak-willed women to try to distort the truth and teach something that is not true, that is contrary to what Scripture teaches. Does that happen today? You bet it does. You ever had a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon knock on your door? Absolutely. And you know when they usually come by? When the husband's not home, the wife's home alone. And they're there to lead astray. They're dogs. And they're scavengers. And so they try to seek to have control over people. Then he says this, look out for the evildoers. Paul calls them evildoers here, or evil workers. These teachers taught that salvation by practicing the Jewish law, it was a, a works righteousness. However, Paul confronted them by saying their works were really evil. He's saying, you're saying that you have to do this? Well, really, that's an evil work. And he says they're evil workers. They had evil works. They perverted the gospel. Um, and any good works that they had were never accepted by God. Isaiah said that even our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. You see, we see work salvation taught in many groups today. You can be saved by faith plus baptism. You can be saved by faith plus taking the Lord's Supper. People teach you can be saved by faith plus other good works. Good works is really the hallmark of any type of false teaching. Because it says you must do these things in order to be in right standing with God. Well, that's contrary to what scripture teaches, right? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through what? Faith. And that not of yourselves. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. 
And so he tells them, look out for these people that try to incorporate a worksy type of thing within salvation. He says, these people are dangerous. You need to watch out for them. So we must be aware of teachers that say Christ's work is not enough. They try to add to the salvation. Then look what he says here. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul calls them mutilators of the flesh. Again, this is, this is the idea of, of circumcision, having circumcision. Paul was using irony here to make a point because he's saying these people mutilate their flesh. Here's these Judaizers saying, you have to do this in order to be in right standing with God. And Paul says, you're mutilating your flesh. And so he's using a little bit of irony as he tells, talks about this to look out for these people. These false teachers taught the necessity of circumcision. Now, what was circumcision? Well, it was a sign that was given to Abraham. If you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, Genesis 17 and uh, verse number 10, it was a Jewish rite, and, and we find there that Abraham was told, okay, look, I'm going to put upon you a mark. I want you to be identified with me. And the way that we are going to be identified is through a mark, through circumcision. Now, I'm not going to go in detail what circumcision is. I think all of us here are pretty old. If you don't know what it is, you can look it up on your own. Okay? But he's saying, look, this is what I want you to do in order for you to be identified with me. And so Jewish parents would then circumcise their sons on the eighth day after their birth, just as Christ was. And this was a sign of participation in God's covenant with Israel. And so if anybody was not circumcised, they were to be cut off from Israel. In other words, they were to be killed because they were not identified with God. However, this outward sign was always supposed to be a picture of an inward reality. It's not so much of having the external it should be about the internal, the heart. It was to be a picture of having a changed heart before God, a heart that loved him and loved people. Jeremiah had this to say about it in Jeremiah 4.4. 4, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts. You men of Judah and people of Jerusalem, or my wrath will break out and burn like fire because of the evil you have done. Burn with no one to quench it. And so the Jews were to circumcise their hearts or God's wrath would break out against them. So to be circumcised physically and not have a circumcised heart meant absolutely nothing to God. And that's exactly what these men were promoting. They were promoting an external thing of righteousness before God. And God says, I don't care about that. He says, you're doing all these external things. I don't care about that. He says, I want you to have a circumcised heart. And so it was just a ritual without the reality. This was always taught in the Old Testament. God desires obedience more than all the burnt offerings. Is that not what we read there in Hebrews? Right? Burnt offerings I had no desire in. And here's Jesus. What does he come? To do thy will, O Lord. Right? Obedience above all of the 
sacrifices and rituals and all of that. And so to practice a ritual without the right heart is nothing before God. And it's the same for us today. You see, our worship must be in spirit and in truth. That's what Jesus said in uh, John 4, 23. And so if we don't have the right spirit or the right heart behind it, then it's unacceptable. Think about your worship here today. Is it in spirit and in truth? I mean, we can all wear the nice clothes, we can say all the nice things, and we can come to a church body of believers, and we could sing the songs, and we could participate in communion, but if your heart is not behind it, is it worship? No. We're just going through the motions. And he says, look out for these people that promote an external thing more than the internal. They're mutilators of the flesh. They emphasize more of the form, the right clothes for worship, the right outward appearance. The Pharisees made a great deal about all of this, about washing of the hands, right? And Jesus said, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You're adding to the word of God. In vain you do worship me, he said to them. And so many of their rituals were not commands of God, but simply traditions of men. You see, while the Judaizers, with the Judaizers here, the circumcision was no longer commanded of God. It was just a ritual that was neither right or wrong. One could be circumcised or not, and it wouldn't make any difference at all. But they really placed an emphasis on this, that you had to do this. You see, in the church age, it's just a tradition. Be careful of people or teachers that emphasize traditions and rituals, especially those not commanded in the scripture. Traditions and rituals. And we've made a lot of traditions and rituals, have we not, that are not in Scripture? And if we place more emphasis on those things than we do Christ and His Word and having the right heart for worship, what are we doing? We're just like those men who promoted this stuff rather than having a right heart before God. And churches that emphasize traditions and rituals often become very legalistic and judgmental. Oftentimes, there's a high placement on the outward appearance. Uh, my wife and I spent nine years at a, at a church that emphasized outward appearances above the heart. They emphasize looking right and acting right and doing all these things rather than having the right relationship with God. And so it's very dangerous. The majority of the New Testament epistles contain warnings about these false teachers and false teachings that attacked the very early church. And today it's no different. In fact, we're starting to see these people come out of the woodworks now. In fact, Jesus said in the last days, he says, there will be many false teachers and many false Christ. How are you going to know the difference? You've got to remain faithful to truth. You've got to look out for the counterfeits. You think about that guy that I told you about early on, printing up all that money. That's a lot of money. That's a ton of cash. And there he was selling this stuff, selling $20 banknotes to people. They're thinking they're getting a great deal. He's making real money. These people are unsuspecting. We gotta look out. We gotta watch out. We gotta remain faithful to the word of God. 
And that's exactly what Paul is telling them here. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble for me, but it is safe for you. Look out, watch out, because there are people that will try to lead you astray. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifewiththeridge.church. Thank you.